So today, I get the privilege of hanging out with you and sharing a standalone message, which I've entitled, The Ultimate Test. And yes, there'll be a test. <laughs> so I hope you've all studied. Don't you love pop quizzes? Like you show them, hey, there's a test today, yay, we hate you. Um, <laughs> at least that's how I felt in school. I'm just, you, okay, yeah. Uh, but I get the privilege of talking about the ultimate test. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's where we'll be uh, camping out this morning. And let me begin by asking you this question. Have you ever heard someone brag about being able to do something? It's pretty vague. But I mean, that person that just keeps bragging and bragging and bragging to the point you want to go, dude, then prove it. You know, I don't care what social setting it may be. I don't know, you know, it could be hanging out with friends or you could be at dinner over here in a conversation, but they just keep bragging and bragging and bragging to the point you're just tired of me. You're like, seriously, prove it. You just want to say, hey, put your money where your mouth is, step up, and if you can do this, do this. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, someone who's sharing an accomplishment. You know, if you accomplish something, hey, share it. Be proud of it. It's that person that just, you know, just won't stop talking about it. And I'm talking about, you know, whatever they do, you just want to look them in the eye and say, if you can, then do it. Prove it. Put your money where your mouth is. You know, you get around these people that boast and brag, and you just want to look at them and call their bluff. And that's kind of what Paul's doing in this text that we're going to about to examine, where he says to the people of the church at Corinth, step up. If this is who you are, then step up. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 5, and here we see the test being administered, where he says, examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Then he goes on to add this little comment. He says, and I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. And when I read this, I, you know, I'll just tell you right now, my, my test anxiety comes out. Not that I'm not questioning whether I'm in the faith. Just anytime someone gives a test, I get nervous. And so I have to ask myself, you know, as I did many times in school, what's the reason for testing? But the, the reason for the test here, what, what's the principle behind the test? Because, you know, growing up, going to school, I, I'm a firm believer that teachers just give tests to punish us. <laughs> to you educators out there, I know differently. Please don't correct me afterwards. But it sure felt that way. It felt like you all, teachers, wonderful people, like to torture your students. <laughs> and, and tests make me nervous. I get, I get just all worked up at tests. I'm not a good test taker. In college, I used to freak out when it came to taking tests because, you know, uh, the test I hated most of all was the multiple choice test. Can I get a witness? You know, because I always thought it was something that the teacher, the, the teacher just, you know, it, it was like this chess game where they were throwing out questions. And they just sat back and go, ha, 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 with this evil laugh. Let's see if you can figure this out. It's like, okay, and you get, you know, those t-shirts that come real close with the A and the B, it's like, oh, well, it could be either one. 
and you ponder forever, and before you know it, you run out of time. It's like, I'm still stuck on question one. How can it be over? You see, I, I, I'm convinced that their job was to create some code, and our job as a test taker was to crack the code. You know, because if I were to design tests, that's exactly how I would do it. And there's probably a reason I'm not an educator. But the, the ones I love, too, are the Scantrons, these little bubble sheets. Now, if I had to design that, I'd probably give an A to who would ever turn in the best-looking Christmas tree-type figure. You know, whoever could get the most creative with what they could come up with on the bubble sheet, I'd be going, yes, that's an A. Because I believe in a creative God, and you just showed me that you're creative. Good, A, perfect. But tests are miserable. But there's reasons for the test. When I, when I was a, an instructor for Oklahoma Baptist University, I got the opportunity to actually design a test. And all this came true because I was like, it's time for me now to pay back all of society for all that the teachers had done to me. So I designed this test for all my students. I said, up at the top, students, and when a, a professor does this, it says, please read the test thoroughly before answering. So I do that, and then on the last page, like question, you know, 49 out of 50, it said, had you read everything thoroughly, answer test question number 10 and turn it in. And I'd watch the students after administering, they'd go all the way through the test, they'd get to the last page, and they'd be like, are you serious? I'm like, well, you didn't follow the instructions. And if you're not going to follow the instructions, then you're going to pay for it. And then that sinister laugh of the educator came out. <laughs> But why do we take this test? Why, why is it important that he puts this test in front of you and he says, examine yourselves. See that you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. There are reasons we have to take the test. And the test that I, I fear the most is the scale. Because it's truthful, and when I get on the scale, it tells me the truth, and I believe that I struggle with weight because my test anxiety, in order to get a higher score, that transfers to me getting on the scale. That I study hard for a higher score. The other day I was cramming for a doctor's appointment at the Olive Garden. <laughs> because my goal was to step on the scale. And look at the nurse and say, ha, beat that. <laughs> That's right, been studying. But here's what happens when I step on the scale, it tells me how I'm doing. It, it, it shoots back at me, okay, am I healthy, am I not healthy, do I need to do something? As if my clothes getting tight or going and buying a bigger size isn't giving me keys and indicators. When I step on the scale, it's being truthful, it's coming back to me and saying, yeah, you got issues or you don't. See, the reason we take this test, the reason it, it, it's given is that we can check and see how we're doing in specific areas. And here Paul's saying, examine yourself, test yourself, see how you're doing in this thing that we call the faith of Jesus Christ. Is it in you? Are you living it? Is it coming out of you? Or are you just playing games? Are you going through the motions? Is this in you? The reason the Apostle Paul says, take this test see if Christ is in you, is because anyone can claim to have Christ. But a life filled with Christ is more than just taking a claim. Many people claim to have faith, but do they have Christ in them? Or is it more just a play on the words and the way they live their life? 
those who truly have Christ living in them think, act, and do as Christ did. And here Paul is passing a church to the note. He's saying, hey, hey, guys, church, hello, is Christ in you? And it's amazing because if you look at the scripture and you look at Paul's letters, you know, we talk about people who brag. When you look at Paul, he says, you know, if I brag about anything, I brag about my weakness so that Christ can be made known. So that in my weakness, Christ is strong. So how many people do we hang out that brag more about their weaknesses than about what they can do? And what's going on here is Paul's getting ready for his third journey to the church at Corinth. And he says, look, I hope you're ready for me. I hope you're living out what you've been called to live out in Jesus Christ. Because what they did immediately, they said, well, who are you to call us out? And he says, who am I? Who are you? Examine your life. See that Christ is in you. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you're failing this test. So how do we test it? What are the methods we use to test it? I I believe there's four areas we can use to test to see if Christ is in us. And the first is this. We need to have, there's a need for perfect honesty. We have to be honest. We we, we have to be honest with ourselves. When we're called on the rung to perform, either we can or we can't. It's real simple in some things. Like when it comes to music, and someone could brag about playing a musical instrument, you can say, here, prove it. And either they can or they can't. You know, someone say, hey, I play the piano. You say, prove it. And if someone would say, hey, prove it, Pastor Tom, you might get a great rendition of chopsticks. But does that mean I can play the piano? Or when it comes to sports, and I would love this when we'd be out on the football field and and someone would show up and they say, yeah, I'm going to play football. And you look at them like, really? Are you sure you're cut out for this? Yeah, I'm cut out for this. I'm a football player. You're going, okay, this is your last chance. Really? And they would suit up, and the, the best day of football was that first day of pads. When you've you gone through conditioning, you get the pads on, and now we're separating the men from the boys, those who should be out there and those who think they want to be out there. And usually by the end of that day, those who only think they want to be out there are to second-guess themselves. Because those who really have the desire to play and the, the heart to play and can play are usually punishing those who think they could play. So it's really easy to determine in sports and music and other things. We say either we can do it or we can't. But when it comes to us, we have to be honest. Can we do it? Searching our lives honestly is of the utmost importance in understanding, is Christ in you? And only you can answer the question of, is Christ in you? Do our lives reflect Christ or do they reflect the world? Do we have a heart for sacrificing for others as Christ sacrificed for us, as we search our lives to see if Christ is in us, we must dig beyond what we want others to believe and get honest with ourselves. Proverbs 14.25 says this, A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. And I don't know you, but in order for me to model this life that Christ has called me to, if Christ came to save, then I need to be pointing people to the Savior, so I have to be honest and truthful in order to be a witness who saves lives. Because in deceit, in deceit, people perish. A truthful witness saves lives, and, and, and I want to be a truthful witness, so I need to be honest with myself. Am I living this faith in Christ? The second thing is this has to be done under the authority of an all-searching God. 
Yeah, I, I love the phrase, God knows. When people say, God knows, you say, hey, will it rain today? And people are like, yeah, God knows. I'm going, duh. You know, or they say, well, I have a job next week. God knows. I'm going, you know, okay, I get it. We know God knows everything. If your theology is correct, you know God knows everything. But to answer God knows, when somebody asks the question like, hey, where does this road lead? And you're like, God knows. Like, that doesn't help me get where I need to be. God knows. We know God knows. And the thing is, God knows your heart. God knows your life. God knows everything about you. And, you know, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we, you know, we can't help but be honest with God because he knows. It's under the authority of an all-searching God. God knows what goes on in us. Is Christ in us? God knows. One thing that's guaranteed is that God knows if Christ is in you, even if you can't be honest with yourself. Psalms 139, 1 through 4 says this, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. That's an all-knowing God. Before a word is on my tongue, he is aware of all my ways. He knows everything about me. He has searched me. He knows me. He knows when I'm coming, when I'm going, when I'm sitting, when I'm standing. He knows everything about me. He knows if I'm playing church or if I truly have Christ in me. And just because we know some memory verses or we attend church doesn't mean that we can answer yes on this test. See, Christ knew that there'd be people who would, who, who would mess around and play games with the church, and he knew that people would be pretending to have Christ in their lives, and he addressed this playing of games in Matthew 7, verse 21, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we have to be honest, and it's under the authority of an all-searching God. And the third thing is this, is through the standard of God's Word. We, we have to test ourselves through the standard of God's Word. It's the measure by which we live, or should live. See, God lists standards and principles to live by. And so we have to ask ourselves, when it comes to those principles that He's laid out for us in His Word, how are we doing in living out His way? Because what we do as humans, we say, you know what, here's man's way. And we start to ponder man's way, and we start saying, man's way, it looks pretty good. We can live this way. And we start changing and adapting how we think man should live. And we ignore how God says we should live. But God's word always trumps man's way. The word of God is the principle by which we get to live. As Christians, if it's in us, then it should flow through us. We should understand this. That's why we push life journaling. We just don't push life journaling and say, hey, be in the life journal club, it's cool. We push life journaling so that you can be in the word of God, so you can understand these principles by which we ask to live by. Not from us, but from God. He's saying, live according to my word. I live according to the scripture. Understand my word. And I, I truly believe that in our world today, if we had more people understanding this book then we'd have a whole different outlook. But instead, what we do is we set this book on a shelf and we look around and we think to ourselves that man's way is better. 
Man's way is never better than God's. And we don't have to live in trying to guess what it is to live out man's way when he has given us the principles and the, the, the ways to live and he spelled it out. We just need to stick our nose in his book and understand his ways in order to live them out. It's not a distant God who's saying, hey, try to figure me out, I'm hiding. It's a God who wants to be understood. He's a God who says, know me, test me, understand me, see that I'm good. So if we're supposed to be living our lives according to the scripture, how are we doing? You know, in this examination, is Christ in us? If Christ is in us, then I should be living according to Christ, which comes from his word. How are we doing? Are we living according to God's word? Or are we just making it up according to man's ways? Are you living up to the standard that Christ set? It's so funny when people start getting concerned, they begin to make excuses as to why they're not living according to God's standards. And you see, I think Scripture is clear about what we're supposed to do. Uh, he says, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. So how are we doing on that? And then he says, uh, you know, and then we're to love our neighbors. Man, most of us, some of us, a few of us, we barely even talk to our neighbors. Let alone like them. Love them. Man, we can't even get along with people in the church on a regular basis. So when we examine ourselves, see if Christ in us, you know, it should be overflowing. It shouldn't be a barrier to our relationships. If I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and I'm loving the neighbors as I'm loving Him, man, my life should look more like Christ and a whole lot less like the world. And you see, Scripture is from God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. And how often do we search for this completeness in the world? We, we journey out to be complete in the world. Instead of knowing that the Word of God is what makes us complete and equipped for every good work. And then the psalmist says in 119.11, he says, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now that's someone who knows the word of God. You know, I wonder how often do we go through life and, and even train our kids to know the word of God, that they may hide the word of God in their hearts so they can understand what God wants us to live out, how God wants us to live out, in order that when they face the world, they ever say, you know what, the word of God has taught me about this, and I'm going to cling to the word of God that I might not sin against him. It, it, is it a big deal in our families when somebody does sin against God? Have we taken them back to Scripture and shown them why that's wrong? Or are we just going about it man's way? So we have to be honest and under an all-knowing God and through the authority of Scripture. And the fourth thing is this, is we can't do it at the expense of others. We, we, we can't do this self-examination and look at it compared to others. See, during our self-examination period, it's important to remember that we are examining and testing ourselves. He says, examine yourself. He doesn't say examine your community or examine your neighbors or examine your family. He's saying examine yourself. Test yourself. So it's based on how we measure up to Christ, 
and not everybody else. And so he, he shares this parable. In, 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 in Luke chapter 18, he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. He said, two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Then there's a pause. It says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, the one I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone, grab this, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And when I read that over and over, especially in this time, in this day, you know, what is it, like nine days from the election, I can't help but think of this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who says, I'm better, will be humbled. Everyone who says, look at me and how I live, will be humbled. But he says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, in this test, I can't be looking at everybody else going, yeah, but I'm not like them. Yeah, but I'm not like them. At least I didn't do that. At least I'm not. It's a self-examination. Say, how am I doing in God? Am I humbling myself before God in order to say, God, I just want to measure up to you. I want to live my life according to your ways. I want, to, I want to be who you've called me to be. I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to examine myself to see that you are in me, Lord. Lord, test me to see that I am in you. And the, you know, the, the caution there is, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And so it's a real simple test. There's only two outcomes. You know, the, the possible outcomes are this. A, the results are favorable. You've tested yourself, and you're in the faith. You, you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, and you're trying each day to be in his word to understand how it is to live by him, and everything you do is, is, is moving through. You're in a journey to move it through in accordance to his word. It, you know what? We're, we're on this journey. It's, it's not about being perfect. It's about trying each day to say, God, I want you to transform me. I want to be more like you each day. And when we do fail and we scrape our knees, we get back up and say, I'm still on this journey, God, to be more like you. Or the results prove that things are in desperate need. And, and maybe you're here and you've never given your heart to Christ. You've never taken that first step to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're the one who's playing the game and going through the motions and going through church, but you've never actually accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and, you know, you take the test, you examine yourself, you know what, I've attended church, but I've never ex actually accepted Christ. Because here's what I think we do. I, I, I think these tests are simple. We face them in every area of our lives, and we, we've, we've been doing this kind of stuff since we were little, and it's ingrained in us where, you know, imagine this. You're sitting in the classroom, and that special guy or girl that you've been looking at for half the school year passes you a note. And you unwrap the note. And in it, it says this. Will you be 
my boyfriend or girlfriend. And then there's two boxes. Okay? And one box says, yes. And the other box says, no. And you're like, oh, but it's from her. <laughs> this is awesome. Will I be her boyfriend? And then you start thinking, I don't know if I want to be in a committed relationship. I don't want that reputation in fourth grade. And so you start looking at these boxes, yes or no, and you're going, I don't know because I don't want to hurt her feelings because I really do have feelings for her. You know, she could be the girl of my dreams. She let me use her eraser. She's awesome. You know, just do I do yes or do I do no? And then you come up with the solution. You put this third box. And on the third box, you put maybe. And you're like, problem solved. Here's the deal. Christ says, do you love me? Will you be my disciple? Will you do my will? Will you live for me? And it's not a maybe type of question. It's a either I'm all in or I'm not. It's not a, hey, I'll play the game long enough to let people think I'm in. It's not this maybe box. It's a yes or a no. When Christ says, will you? We've got to say, yes, I will. Or by our actions, we've already said, no, I won't. See, I think our lives reflect more of a fireplace. Stick with me. In my house is this lie that I call a fireplace. And here's why. A fireplace, you should be able to put logs in it. And you take the match and the fuel and you set fire to the fireplace. And something happens in a real fireplace. Okay? Things get consumed. Things get transformed. But instead, what we put in houses these days are a switch on the wall. Where we can turn it on. Poof. Fire. But you ever watch what happens in that fireplace? Nothing's being consumed. Nothing's being transformed. There's gas that pours in, it sparks, it's light, and we're going, oh, happy times, we've got the clean fireplace. In our relationship with Jesus, it's not as easy as turning the switch on and turning the switch off. We can't just say, okay, today, click, it's on. Look, I'm in church happy times. Walk out the door, click, it's off. See, in a true fireplace, things get transformed. You stick a log in there, it catches fire, it turns to ash. It doesn't come out the same. It's changed. It's transformed. It's consumed. Our Lord, our God is a consuming fire. So I wonder how many of us are living this lifestyle. We're like, click today, I'm good. Click tomorrow, I'm off. Is that Maybe. It's that fine line of going, you know, I'll play this church game. I'll have just enough religion in me to be dangerous. I'll have just enough of this relationship to just you know, scratch the surface so that my friends think I'm living it. But here, Paul's saying, stop playing games. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail 
the test. And like Paul, my hope is this. I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. I love worship music. I grew up in church and I've experienced all sorts of worship styles. And I, I love the worship we do here and how Pastor Chad and Trey, how they, they lead us into the presence of God, that they're going to take us to where we can just worship God. And, you know, that's not always the case in a lot of churches. They're good meaning people, but it's not always about taking us to the heart of worship. You know, I, I grew up listening to the Gaithers. And I'm not bagging on the Gaithers. I enjoy the Gaithers, which is odd for someone my age because I should be like 70 to enjoy the Gaithers. But no offense to the Gaithers. Look them up. There's some good stuff. But it's a different style. But even earlier on, I grew up singing hymns. And I remember the hymnals, and you'd open up the hymnals, and for those of you who don't know what a hymnal is, look it up online. But there was such richness in worship. There's such richness in the hymns. And even there's richness in the stuff the Gaithers and contemporary stuff had. But I remember as I was preparing this that God took me back to a hymn that I had learned growing up. And, and the amazing part about this hymn was that it was written in 1834 by a gentleman named Edward Moe. And, and the title of the hymn is called The Solid Rock. And the first verse says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then the, the chorus says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Is Christ in you? Is your faith in Christ? Is your hope and your trust in Christ alone? And I think about how Paul wrote this letter as he was getting ready to come visit his third time, the church in Corinth. And as I look at that, I understand that Christ will return to come for us. And it takes me to the fourth stanza of that song, and it says, when he shall come with trumpet sound... Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. It's test time. The cool part about this test is it's open book. It's an open book test. We don't have to hope we've studied it. It's right here. The answers are right here. And you know what's also cool about this test is we're allowed to talk to our neighbors. We're allowed to say, help me. Walk with me. Keep me on track. Because I want to be found in Christ alone. I want my identity in Christ alone. And not and the things of this world. And you know whether you're playing games or this game called Christianity or if you're truly living with Christ inside you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.